Right, so we've been going through a, a series at the moment. And so if you're here uh, for the first time today, I apologise that um, I can't do too much of a wrap-up, but the podcasts are available on iTunes and whatever the other thing is um, that you can get them through. Um, speak to Brendan down the front here. He knows all about that sort of thing. SoundCloud. Is that, is that the Android version? Oh, okay. I'll just... Yeah, never mind. Okay. So in, in this series, we're actually exploring how we can have a healthier relationship with God through a greater understanding of his character and his characteristics uh, and how that can help us, one, understand uh, who we are as his people made in his image and two, how we can reach out to unchurched people with a clearer picture of who the God is that we're actually introducing them to. And so what have we discovered so far? Um, we've discovered so far that uh, God is Elohim, which is a title or description. Uh, we've discovered that he is an Elohim with the ability to create the heavens and the earth, which he did. Uh, he also has the desire to share creative control with mankind, God's first mistake. <laughs> um, and out of that, we've discovered that uh, God is a keeper of his covenant or a keeper of his promises because he's set in place a plan to restore the intimacy that he had initially with us, even though we're perhaps not quite so good at keeping up our end of the covenant. Uh, we also discovered last week that he is holy, uh, not in an uptight sort of way, but in the fact that he is unique and transcendent and we need to recognise this when we come into his presence. Um, we discovered also that part of his character is that he's always with us. So he's God with us. And the other thing we, were, we discovered to our horror, uh, for a lot of us anyway, is that he moves and works through us. Even though it's really, really inefficient, we discovered that God doesn't actually care about efficiency, he cares about his people. And so just taking up that last point, the fact that he works through us from last week, I just want to take a couple of New Testament examples to show that Jesus actually taught this as well. And the first place he actually teaches it is in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where he says, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we Christians pray, you know, may your will be done. Um, no, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. I think most of our Western concept of that is that we're kneeling down in prayer and we pray, you know, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. And we sort of think that, God's doing stuff behind the scenes while we're kneeling and praying. That, you know, we're praying there, and if we pray hard enough, when we open our eyes and look around, God will have done it. It's like we prayed and praise Jesus, it worked. But unfortunately, uh, that's not how Jesus teaches the concept of God. Because his concept is very clearly that as we begin to participate through our obedience to the teaching of Jesus, we actually usher in the kingdom of God in our day-to-day -day lives and relationships. And so we're part of the answer to that prayer. That's how God's kingdom is coming soon, not because Jesus is going to bring it on his own, but because he's going to work through us to make sure that people see his kingdom in us. So uh, the other scary thing is in Matthew 16, 19, uh, when Jesus is speaking to Peter, uh, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. 
And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And so a lot of people ask, why isn't God doing something about the pain and suffering in this world? He is. He's sending you. And that's pretty much it. We expect God to perform miracles, whereas the miracles that he has sent are inside of us. Very rarely, as I said last week, does God operate sovereignly. He likes to work through us, whether we want him to or not. So these stories are trying to get us to redefine what it means for God to be present and active in the world. So God is fundamentally committed to be with his people, that's us, even when we're in deep suffering and slavery. Our suffering and bondage doesn't mean that God isn't with us, but it's actually precisely these moments when he can reveal who he is and who he is, is with us. So the concept of God always being with us stemmed, if you remember from Moses, being in protest mode uh, when God asks him to go and set his people free. And uh, Moses says, who, me? Why, I'm obviously not the right man for the job. Uh, God ignores that. And so Moses moves on to his next move. What do you think Moses does next? God's ignored his first protest. So any sensible person, if God is ignoring you or not listening to what you're saying, then you would change what you were saying. But no, Moses is um, Moses. And so verse 13 in Exodus 3 tells us, Moses protested again. And you can see Moses is thinking about this. He, he, he desperately does not want God to use him. And so he, he, he's dredging things up from his mind. He says, I, well, um, uh, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they're going to ask me what's his name. And then what should I tell them? I don't know your name. He thinks he's got God stumped here. I don't know why. <laughs> if I, uh, what's your name? Oh, there you go. See, he knows his name. Why would Moses think that God doesn't know his name? Sort of, I don't know your name, so I can't go. He's right there. It's like, you know, well, I can tell you my name. And of course, God, being more sensible than Moses, tells him. And so God replied, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. Now God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So there's a couple of things going on here. The first thing that goes completely over our heads in English is that there's a, a very clever wordplay going on in, here in Hebrew. Um, and we don't get it because they're using different words here. Um, but... The word I am in Hebrew is, is God talking about himself. And it, it, it's very much like if I was talking about what I want you to do, I would say, I am thinking that we should do this. But if I told that to Brendan, and then Brendan went and said, I am, told me I am thinking about this, people would, which I am, is this you we're talking about? Uh, or is there another I am? Why are you I aming all the time? What Brendan would say is he said that he wants to do this. And funnily enough, that's exactly 
what Moses is told to tell the Israelites. Because God refers to himself as I am and Moses is told to refer to God as Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? It means he is. So although it doesn't pan out in English, there's actually a wordplay there. God is saying, tell them I am has sent you. But then he says, actually, tell the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, has sent you. So he's, he, God is very particular about the tense. Only God can refer to himself as I am, which makes sense. And he tells Moses to refer to him or to the name on other people's lips is Yahweh, which is he is. And so you might think, well, why, why is this wordplay uh, important? Um, because remember we looked at a verse last week where God answers Moses' first objection by saying, I will be with you. And so and, and his implication in that is, it doesn't matter who you are, what matters who I, is who I am, and I will be with you. Which is actually the same phrase as I am who I am. Because it actually translates better as, as I will be what I will be. But we don't do that in English because then it's future. And so people argue about the fact, well, when is God going to be who he's going to be? So it's translated as I am because God is already who he is to be. But the actual, the actual uh, sort of significance of that is that God is saying that whatever it is that I am, I am that. That's my name and that's the significance of my name for you. And you think, whoa, that's very, that's very philosophical, God. And we read that and we think, well, it's one of those verses in Scripture that you read and you think, yeah, well, okay, that's, that's sort of interesting. I am nice, you know. How is he, he going to talk about I am like that? And then we discover that perhaps he's, uh, he's allowed to use the word Yahweh. But it's actually more than just philosophical. It's actually profound and powerful and it actually means something. What God is saying here is that whatever character traits or whatever attributes that God has or displays, he is that. Does that make sense? If we say God is merciful, it actually means that always merciful is what he is. He is the perfect embodiment, the most consistent, reliable mercy you will find anywhere in the universe. He's a God of justice. He is the very definition, the embodiment of perfect justice. He's a God of love. He is the definition of love. 1 John 4.16 says, We know how much God loves us. We put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And so that's one of, the, that's one of these phrases we throw around as Christians. Yeah, God is love. <coughs> Sounds wise, doesn't it? But that's actually what it means. It's the difference between God and us. God, when we say we serve a loving God, we're actually defining God. God is love because God is loving in every situation. He is merciful in every situation. He is just in every situation. He judges fairly in every situation. Next week we might talk about how God can be just and loving at the same time because we have this this thought in our mind that goes, if you're going to actually 
judge somebody, if you're going to be judgmental, you can't love them. But God is both and perfect at both. But we'll talk about that next week. So there's this tension going on about love and judgment. But you and I are not like that. Imagine you have a friend. I know that's hard for some of us. But you're really enjoying getting to know each other and you get along famously and you know that they're a person of integrity and you enjoy their company and they're generous and kind and you think they would be a great roommate. So you get together with them and you think, yeah, okay, let's get a flat. And, we, and you move in together. You both go into uni, you sort of see the same interests, it's really good. And then suddenly you discover that this person who's kind and generous and, and full of integrity isn't those things all the time. They're the sort of person you suddenly discover that drinks the milk out of the bottle. Not just their milk, the shared milk. They're the sort of person who uh, forgets to put the rubbish out on rubbish night. They're the sort of person who uh, doesn't contribute to the, the joint fund for getting food. They're, they leave the house in a mess. and They're still, sometimes they clean it up. Have you ever had one of those people who said, oh, no, that's not true, I clean the house regularly, but at least twice a year. And don't you, it's that joke about, you know, you don't have to remind me of anything. I've, I remember what I'm supposed to do, and I'm still working on it years later. Um, but it's, it's the same as dating. You date somebody, and you've, you've met like the most amazing man. He's incredible, he's generous, he's kind, and then you marry him. And then you realise he's only sometimes amazing. <laughs> And as human beings, we're only sometimes who we are. And this is, our, this is our major failing. God is always who he is. So how does this help us? You see, you can depend on humans being sometimes what they are, but you can always depend on Yahweh to be who and what he is. So knowing this character, knowing the character of God revealed through his name and story, I believe can help us understand what we're called to do in verses like this one. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, there's a lot of Christians who've grabbed that phrase, speaking the truth in love. And they've interpreted that to mean, I can tell people what I think about them without any sort of filter whatsoever, and then just tack on the end of it, I'm saying this in love. So, you know, it's like, you know, Mike, I just want to tell you that your guitar playing is shocking and you need to give it up. But I'm saying this in love. Don't, no offence, there's nothing personal. <laughs> and, and you sort of think, well, that's okay, because it's in love. Mike can handle that. But what you've really done is you, you've hurt somebody. You've actually deeply wounded them and then absolved yourself of all responsibility by saying, oh, I'm just telling you in love, Mike. And Mike's thinking, no, you aren't. You're being a rotten, cruel bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately I've done that. He stops praying for me. And probably a lot of, he probably stops praying guitar as well. <laughs> but if we read on, it says, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So how do we be Christ-like? 
It's one of those phrases, it's another one, that Christian phrase that we throw around, oh, we need to be all more Christ-like. And as soon as somebody says that to me, I imagine myself in sandals and a white robe, <laughs> growing a beard and, and telling parables to everybody. <laughs> oh, hang on. I might do that anyway. Um, but that's not actually what it means. We're intimidated by this idea that we, we have to have a, attain a freakish level of holiness or a, a, a huge theological understanding of the Bible to be like Jesus Christ. And that's not what it means at all. It's really a question of knowing the character of Jesus. And if we know the character of Jesus, for instance, he's merciful. We know that he's always merciful and that he embodies the definition of mercy. He's also placed that characteristic into every single one of us. How do I know that? Because he's made us in his image. Now, sometimes in speaking to some of you, I would doubt that. Uh, and sometimes I know that people who have spoken to me have, have doubted that as well. But we all have a degree of mercy in us. We all have a degree of love. We all have a degree of compassion. We all have a degree of justice in our character. And to be more Christ-like is actually really, really simple. Because Jesus, who is Yahweh, who is, I mean, Jesus... You know, our God is unique because he's God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's the only God who's those three. But the characteristics of God are listed for us as we read his story through the Bible. We can see what God's character is. We can see that God is compassionate, not just some of the time, but all of the time. God is, is love because he is loving all of the time. Now, I am not loving all of the time. Vicky, if you ask Vicky, she'll say, I'm, I'm loving and if you ask her whether I'm loving all the time, she might lie and say yes. Or she might tell you the truth and say, well, no. Sometimes he's, he's a bit of a, a bear. <laughs> a bear with a sore head. <laughs> um, he, and he's not always compassionate. Um, and he's not always merciful. Um, and so what do, you, what do you think it takes to be more Christ-like? It's actually simply us working on our character to be more merciful every day, even if it's just a little bit, to be more loving every day, to be more compassionate, to be more concerned about justice in this world. And guess what? Sometimes being more Christ-like puts you at odds with the rest of the world. Jesus did not come to agree with everybody in fact, he said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division. And so being Christ-like isn't just being mellow and chilled. It isn't talking to people and tolerating them. Yeah, well, you disagree with me, but I've got to tolerate that because we live in a uh, culture of tolerance. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, tolerate your brother, tolerate unbelievers, he says, love people. What, people who disagree with me. Love everybody. What, people I hate? No, you can't. You've got to love them. But they're my enemy. I think there's actually something in the Bible about that. And so, to be more Christ-like, to be able to reach people with the love of Christ 
is actually not as hard as it sounds. It's just that we have to examine our lives every day and say, am I actually improving in that area or not? Have I treated people with mercy? Am I compassionate? Am I loving? Can I improve in any of those areas? If not, um, you're welcome to come up here and take my place. But we have, we have a calling. Knowing the character of God isn't just something which is there f- for knowledge. It's there for our use. It's there for us to put into action. We are called to be God's witnesses on this earth. God has actually said, and we've seen it through Moses, whether we want it or not, God is going to work through us. Now, if he, he can, I mean, if you read on, the story of Moses is incredible. I mean, and, and if you read on, you'll notice that they were only the first two of, I think, five complaints that Moses posted. Now, he wasn't even convinced after God said, look, you know, this is my name, go and tell them it's me. He had another three excuses after that, and God finally got ticked, <laughs> angry, and said, just flaming well go, will you? And sort out the problems on the way. And sometimes I think we, we sit here, we stand here, and we think, well, God can't use us. I'm not ready. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. God, you don't know the struggles that I've been through. Yes, he does. But you, you don't realise how unready. Yes, he does. He knows us intimately, but his plan for humanity is to send you and me out into the world and, and be his character for people. Can I get Jordan up here? I don't know whether you've actually considered that your mission on this earth is actually just to improve the parts of God that are, that are lacking in your life. Because we are made in his image. We are his image bearers. God cares very much how his image bearers treat one another. And so we actually need to take stock. We actually need to be, uh, what's, what's the word? Uh, intentional about our walk with Christ. So I, I want to I help you with that this morning. And I'm not going to, I was thinking I'd have an altar call. All of those of you who are, are, are unmerciful, can you come out the front first? Uh, all of those who don't have any compassion. Is that all of those, Shame? <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. So you don't, nobody else has to leave. But I do want you to think about it. Because we need to be aware of how we can change things in our lives. We need to be aware of what God wants to do. And if, if we're, our aim is to be more Christ-like, we need to improve the, the things that are least like Him. Some of us will never get a PhD in mercy, but we can at least get a master's or perhaps even an honours degree. Some of us may not be the most compassionate. Some of us don't have a heart for justice. But we can all improve on what we have because being Christ-like is actually all about just changing our life, changing who we are 
be more like the image that we bear. So we've got to be intentional about that. The only, the only people we can change on the planet is ourselves. You know, we, we often read books and the first thing that happens, you read a book about improving yourself and I, I don't know about you, but the first thing you do is think of somebody else who needs to read the book. <laughs> Here, you'd love this. <laughs> what you mean is that I'd love it if you read it and changed <laughs> because you're really a pain in the backside. Whereas all of those things, when we read them, we need to make sure that we've applied them to our own lives first. So I just want to pray. Can I ask you all to stand? The first thing we've got to do if we're going to take on God's character is to let God into our lives. Thank you. I see that hand. And so you may be here listening to, that, to this this morning. You may be here in, in this community and you think, well, I've never asked Jesus Christ to be a part of my life. I know about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus, but I've never said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a line in the sand and from this moment on, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a, a, a Christian, a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ. And so before we pray, about anything else about the character of God. I'd just love to pray if you're here and you don't actually know God. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my personal saviour. I'd love to pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your heart. Now, you may have done it before. You may have invited Jesus in, but you realise that your character has been such that he's possibly left. Although he's always with you, he's not in you. So God loves it when people re-invite him back into their hearts. Now you may have never done it before, you may have done it several times before. But I believe this morning God just wants to give you that opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. So can I get you all just to close your eyes? If that's you this morning, while every eyes closed, if you could just raise your hand so that I can see it, so that I know who I'm praying for, we can pray a prayer together invite Jesus into your heart. Is there anybody here this morning who would like to do that? Okay, let's keep our eyes closed. Let's pray. Lord, when you came into our lives, you changed us. You brought something new, something powerful, something holy into our very being. You awakened our character, our characteristics, our personality, our purpose to reflect your image. And Lord, this morning as we've looked which parts of your image inside of us are perhaps tarnished or dull or not showing. I just pray that we focus on those. We allow your spirit to cleanse us, to open us up, 
to enable us to reflect all of your character, all of your love, all of your mercy, all of your justice, all of your compassion, everything that's in your character, let it be reflected in us. As we follow you day by day, let those things increase. Increase as we let your spirit work inside of us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us mercy and grace. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Because it's not through power and might, but it's by the Spirit of God that we can do all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.